You're listening to Citizen Reporter number 421 for the 16th of May, 2012. And at Global Voices, we stopped defining citizen media as blogs three or four years ago. I'm sort of agnostic about platforms, and I'm interested in voice. I'm interested in where those conversations take place. I'm here in uh, Berlin. It's Republika, the blogger, activist, new media, add your own tag uh, conference that many may remember from, from past years where we've been podcasting here. And I'm sitting across from Ivan Sigel, uh, a name that uh, has been in my uh, friend list for quite a while. Uh, first of all, Ivan, it's really nice to meet you in person. Uh, you too. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Nice to meet you too. And, and you're here speaking, uh, you've given a few talks. I typical slacker that I am, have been busy working on my talk, uh, everything at the last minute, of course. Um, but uh, I know you, because of Global Voices in many ways, and anybody listening to this podcast has surely heard guests who I found because of Global Voices who were either translating or reporting firsthand and came on my program to talk about their country situations. Um, I don't think there's any need to explain Global Voices at this point. Um, but where it gets interesting is is the new frontiers that Global Voices is going into. Um, the focused things such as um, it's for protecting journalists or activism. Uh, these different areas that seem to come up. Because there are a few of these, right? I mean, there's Global Voices, the normal, uh, which is, you know, reports in different languages getting translated. But then there's these focused projects. Uh, at this point, what... Well, we have a couple of them. I, I, the first, well, the first thing I would say is that in addition to the, the, the so-called normal, the main site, we also translate the site into um, 20 active languages and uh, another 15 that are up and coming or, or sort of um, making their way. And that's important not just because, um, not just because we care not just about getting content from underrepresented communities into English, but because we're really interested in making sure that content goes horizontally across many languages. And in the last two years, we've actually completely restructured our website so that people can write first in languages other than English, which has been really important for us because it means that um, writers can join us not having fluent written English anymore, which opens up our community to a, to a broader range of people. Yeah. And it also is important because it means that um, we're decentralizing away from one language. We're giving other languages more priority. But it, it, it requires a new way of working because if formerly we were looking for translators who could work from English into a, another language, now we need to find translators who can translate into proper written English. Yeah. And that's a different skill set. So um, we are incrementally adding languages into this system and uh, we're aiming for about eight this year. And we'll see how we go. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of the biggest change in, within GV in the last two years. And if you read the site every day, you'll probably start, to, you'd notice it. Um, but really what it is is a back-end process of designing a truly multilingual newsroom. 
And in most newsrooms, you can find multilingual newsrooms in mostly in large international broadcasters that are state-sponsored. So the BBC, uh, Voice of America, Deutsche Welle, Radio Netherlands, they have some functions of multilingual newsrooms, but they also have massive budgets. And budget cuts these days, and right? And massive yeah. budget cuts. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to have a budget before you can cut it. Right. <laughs> but in that sense, you're, you're working in a different environment. I mean, Because all of our translators are volunteers. Yeah. So... Um, per region, and then you get into, well, per... We have a small editorial staff, uh, about 20 people. Yeah. Um, but most of the writers and translators are volunteers. So what that means is what we're building is a, is a, a multilingual newsroom that's virtual and across many communities. And that's, that's a really interesting challenge and a really interesting project. Um, in terms of other sections... Yeah, specialties. Uh, the specialties. Uh, Rising Voices is uh, a section that focuses on... Um, underrepresented communities uh, that are just getting online or we're especially interested these days in small languages or, or endangered language communities communities that don't have a lot of online content so um, uh, Eddie Avia who is our director of Rising Voices is from Bolivia and he's very very interested in supporting Aymara mm -hmm. and now also Quechua and uh We are working with uh, and supporting a, a project to create, to, to basically uh, bring back a Native American language based on the, um, in, in Virginia, in the, in the United States. Yeah, and, uh, get applause for that, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Well, yeah. they should get applause for it. We're just helping out a little bit. So, But, so it's a language that's spoken among very few people, it Native is, American language. It is nearly extinct, if not entirely extinct, but it's been documented, and so the project is to actually um, bring it back from the from a coma, yeah. and uh, and and giving it an online presence as a part of that work. And so it's uh, it's going to be. We'll find you can find it on the site, or you will be able to in the coming weeks, as we we've just made it made the award. So. Um, we also work on online freedom of speech and digital media advocacy. That's our, our, our Global Voices Advocacy Project. And uh, that project has been quite active in the last year, especially in the Middle East and North Africa. You already named uh, Middle East and North Africa, because I was going to say, how does it compare to, uh, I always think of um, the Electronic Frontier Foundation as the number one U.S. place for uh, advocacy or, or defense of uh, speech online. Um, in this case, you're talking about countries where it's harder to be able to know all the rules and then combat them in some legal way. I mean, uh, well, it's a different, I mean, it has a somewhat different function than those very activist projects like the Electronic Frontier Foundation. It's much more about reporting on um, certain issues in, in, the, in the countries in which we work. Uh, mainly it's on defense of, rather, not necessarily on defense of bloggers or citizen media so much as it is writing about their cases and trying to ensure that they receive the same level of uh, accord as or um, awareness as other kinds of maybe more professional journalists or other kinds of writers and when we started the project that was not the case that people were often not, not, not given that respect because they weren't affiliated with an institution. Um, and I think there's, there's been a pretty 
large shift in awareness in the past few years, and a lot of freedom of expression organizations now do cover bloggers and citizen media as part of their work. Um, our focus is very much on uh, grassroots self-reporting, and it's also, so it's not necessarily an advocacy project whereby we're going to governments and we're saying, let this person go in the way that the Committee to Protect Journalists does. Um, it's more about digital media activism, coming up with tools for security, for training, and then reporting on events. So we have a, a, a mapping tool uh, that's called Threatened Voices, and the URL is threatened.globalvoicesonline.org. And it's a, it's a Drupal-based system that we built that, is, uh, that tracks uh, what's happened to now over, I think coming, coming up on 300 people who have been arrested, threatened, beaten, killed. Uh, so we, uh, we're documenting their cases as they occur. And that platform has actually been shared by and is being up, also being updated by, uh, by EFF. So EFF has a, a role in this space for sure, a very important role. And they also have a, a lot more resources when it comes to doing research and doing advocacy and outreach. And uh, like all of our projects, uh, Global Voices Advocacy is mainly volunteer. One and a, We have one and a quarter people working on it, and everybody else who does write for it is a volunteer. So... Um, one thing that I, I was thinking, I, I wanted to ask you for some time, um, and, and not to be a, a cynic at all, because it's important not to be a cynic all the time. Um, I've been blogging, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I've been blogging forever, and uh, um, forever being over a decade in this, in this world that we live in. And I get this feeling that there's a shift uh, in the world of comments. There's a shift uh, in terms of a blog getting the average blog getting less comments than it used to, or the discussions are moving to Facebook and they're they're moving away from the site itself. Um, I feel a decline in readership in general. I don't know where they're going if they're considering to read, but it seems like the era, the golden era of the blog in English language, um, was here. We lived it. But that it's it's slipping a bit. Something else is happening. I'm not sure if it's video. I, I haven't determined that part. And and there you are. First of all, I mean, the other language aspect could change everything because culturally, this may not be what's going on in, uh, in, in other different parts in other of India. Blogging could be rising at a different time. I mean, do you see it in this way, or is this just silly to try and quantify? Um, I tend to take a long-term view on that question. People used to use blogs for everything when it was the only tool. So five or six years ago, people used to update their blogs four or five times a day. Now they update Twitter. People used to put everything on blogs because there was no other place to put everything. Now if they want to talk just to their friends, they use social media tools for their friends networks. So there's certainly a dispersal based on more subtle and sophisticated tools for different usages. And I think there is certainly, consequently, a decline in um, the frequency with which people update and and spend time in this kind of broad, open-ended, hyperlinked blog network, the blog, quote-unquote, blogosphere. On the other hand... Uh, it forces us to ask ourselves what blogs are still good for. And there's still a lot. And there's still long-form writing, which people do. A lot of people still do that. Um, and there are blogging platforms that are 
extremely popular that are simpler to use, that have fewer technical requirements, whether it's Tumblr or now Pinterest, mm -hmm. um, and Facebook groups, which allow you to essentially blog on Facebook. And Twitter is a blogging platform. It's a microblogging platform, but people actually hold conversations. And, and I think that one of the confusions is, um, is that a, a blog is such a mishmash when it culturally. It's some, for some people, it's a place where they write long-form reportage or memoir. For others, it's a place to chat. For others, it's a place to document their articles and their reading. But with the creation of other tools that are more specifically focused on some of those activities, um, in a way, I, my attitude is probably blogs will be uh, more used more specifically for projects that people care about in that way. I also don't think that blogs need to live forever. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to keep your blog alive once you've said the thing you need to say. And there's a sense that because it has this kind of endless stream quality, that the stream has to go on forever. But I think that's, it's like any other media project. You should define the arc of your narrative. Makes me wonder what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, the, maybe your arc goes on forever. Well, the arc of the narrative so far is my life, when I think about it. Yeah. Right. But I had a blog. I still have a blog. But I, I wrote it for about two years, two and a half years, and it was about um, digital media and conflict. And I was working on a research project, and I wrote, I wrote it around that research project. And when I finished the project I, and started working with Global Voices, I, I didn't have nearly as much time to do the research. The blog declined drastically. Yeah. And now I almost never work on it. I wish I had more time to, but I, my, I don't really... Um, given how much time there is in the world and how much writing there is, I want to make a, I, I wanted, always wanted my blog to be a place where I was making some kind of original contribution yes. rather than just dumping, dumping stuff. Yes. And if I don't have time to do the research to properly make a contribution, I'd rather dump in another space. Yeah. I'd rather dump on Facebook or dump on Twitter where it's simpler and I have a little Twitter feed on my blog page and then if I have time to write long form, I'm do that. I'm working on a book project, so that's a different project entirely. It's a different kind of writing. It's yeah. photography, too. Um, it's not something that belongs on the blog. Yeah. So I, I, a lot of that question is about our intention, why why we decide to do this. Yeah. And I would, I would put Don't one... we know more now than we did then about why we're doing this or why we're using a blog or... Yeah, and the other thing that's really interesting is that there are all of these collaborative communities that are building tools for their own ends. So more and more instances of a Drupal of an installation or um, a, com a community space that where people are writing collectively. I mean, the, the whole transparency and governance movement, for instance, has, uh, has all sorts of really curious instances about data analysis and tracking power or tracking you know street repair or whatever your issue might be and people are building platforms it is actually a form of blogging i think but it's but you're building a more sophisticated tool to respond to a specific instance or problem and all of those things are examples of citizen media and at global voices we stopped defining citizen media as blogs three or four years ago right because and it'll include we write about tools. all of these things yeah, yeah. and i don't i'm not i'm sort of agnostic about platforms and I'm interested in voice. I'm interested in where those conversations take place. Yeah. And, uh, and my, my approach is also empirical. I'm not trying to shape the world. I mean, a little bit we are because 
it it is something Global Voices does function something as a a backbone or a structure for a lot of people who are interested in this. But you know that's that's in the same in the same way that anything we do affects anything we watch or engage affects the rest of the world around us. But we also have a fairly empirical attitude towards um, towards the issue of technology. We're interested in observing how people behave. We're interested in watching their changes and what their enthusiasms. I don't think overall the world is talking less. Right. I think it's talking more. And I think that that trend will continue. Um, and maybe if there are smaller audiences, it just means that more people are spending more time talking. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I uh, we we uh, we've watched our traffic. Sometimes it goes up. Sometimes it it's kind of holds steady. It's not it's not in decline. No, right. That was one of the curiosities you're watching. I, I you know you have to go soon. We so do I want to attention to it though. Yeah. I yeah. mean it's important. And if if we started to see you know a 10% fall off year on year. We were able to correlate it with those things, but we don't see that. Um, at the same time, I should say that around the economic recession, there was a massive, there was a decline of internet use globally for media outlets too, not just for blogs and citizen media. So the decline that you experienced might have been a, a an ecological decline in in based on other factors. I used to say that, you know, when podcasting began, it was easy to be a popular podcast. It really was. There weren't that many out there. People didn't know what they wanted necessarily. And I watched, and it's not to say that I deserve anything else anyway, but I watched as my audience did decline from that first year into a settling number later. And I try not to look at that to begin with, and that's something I want to real quick talk about. Um, um, but it was also because people discovered what they really wanted. And maybe it wasn't it wasn't my style of what I'm doing. It was about... It was Books just or it was wine the, or... it was the novelty factor that there was you know it's like any new technology once the technology becomes invisible once we're no longer talking about the technology then we can concentrate on talking about the subject and so you you constantly have this novelty factor in art and in, in, in media and um, is is your project dependent uh, because it's not a commercial project so the beauty is should those numbers go down or up nobody's saying to you. This thing's in decline. We're, we're, we're pulling well, some we funds. Do have, we do have donors. We are well, a, dependent on popularity. We are a nonprofit organization. We're a, a Stichting registered in, in the Netherlands, and uh, and our donors do care about our traffic. So if that's scary a little bit, I mean, it's all everything is well. What they care about is impact, and I think that's fair. I mean, they 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 don't want to support something that nobody's using. I mean, they um, are. I hate living and dying by numbers. That's, as a media creator, maybe an old complaint. Mm. I don't live and die by numbers. But I, I, you know, in some ideal world, I would agree with that. But, <laughs> you know, if if I was the man um, or woman who happened to invent a great tool or happened to inherit a railroad fortune, and and I got to decide how to give away the money, then maybe I would maybe I would feel differently. But the people who do have those resources generally set goals and metrics for the use of those funds and they want to know both that you're spending them effectively in terms of an organization are they working well are they doing what they say they're going to do are they good at what they do and is what they're doing having an impact i mean and most organizations most foundations define a 
uh, a goal for the use of their funds that is about some kind of social or economic or yeah. social or economic or public health or whatever the sector, some kind of impact. And so they want to, they want a, a guarantee or an expectation that they are affecting the world in the ways that they care about. And numbers are a proxy for that. They are the easiest proxy for that. And so it's a matter of making sure that you're um, not dominated by the numbers, that your numbers, you're interpreting the numbers in the context of many factors. And if you do that, then I think numbers are okay. Yeah. I mean, and if I, even if I didn't think numbers were okay, that's the world that we live in. So I have to... Right, I have right. To, there to are a few alternatives, if any. If any, yeah, yeah. But what you said yeah. hits well with me, which is context matters. Yeah. Uh, numbers going up and down shouldn't be the, the only thing, right? Um, your time is limited, um, although I think we'll meet again in the future. I want to ask one more, and it's a, it's a classic, it's an oldie, but it's, it's one of the classic questions I had. I grew up, uh, I, I, I somehow would read the, uh, the French Courrier International, one of my favorite projects ever, still to this day. And what it is, of course, for those who don't know, it's the uh, newspaper, weekly newspaper that takes news from all over the world and translate it, in, in this case, to French. They choose regions, and I always thought... If there were more sources like this, which in the end becomes a, reminds me of Global Voices, there would be less misunderstanding, or at least let's, not, let's go for increased understanding across cultures, uh, that places are not so different, that you know, uh, uh, someone wounded here is the same as somebody wounded over there, it's, it's, we're all connected. But then we have a project like Global Voices, been in existence now for, I think, at least almost 10 years? Uh, we are in our seventh year now. Seventh year, okay. And... Uh, Yet, of course, the world continues to do what it does, and sometimes you still have these attempts, or, or not just attempts, conflicts that break out. I look at the U.S. and I see this attempt at a campaign to say that Iran is an enemy, right? Always that Iran is an enemy. Uh, well, I have two thoughts for you. One, yeah. of them, one of them might be coming from the skeptic camp, which says that no, conflict begins at home. <laughs> conflict begins at home? Yes. Uh, I mean, and in the I family. Think we should understand more about the rest of the world by now, because we have the places we have. No, we what, have what I, voices. What, what, have, have, what I mean to say by that is that um, the instances and variety of conflict, violent and non, are as infinite as as human nature. So there's a, and I mean, I mean that in all seriousness. Conflict begins at home. Like the, the strongest arguments are with the people you love the most. And so stepping back from the structural argument for a second about nations and large systems, I, I tend to think that conflict is embedded in human relationships. And so I don't have necessarily an expectation. Maybe in some earlier version of myself, I did have the hope that com conversation um, could, could mitigate conflict. But I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I would like to think that, it, that that is true. I would also like to think that if people... that There's something... Uh, I also think that there tends to be something of a self-selection process going on. That is, people who believe in projects like Global Voices or, or want seek to understand other cultures are inclined to that anyway. And that getting people who are not interested in, to the, in, in those subjects to engage them is the real challenge right it's so those people who would who seek to to know those worlds are finding them. finding them and those who are not inclined 
maybe they will find them through some other path, but they won't be looking for them. And the one thing that we find out about, we know about the modern media ecology in which content is abundant and attention is scarce, is that you only find stuff that you don't care about if you go looking for it. If you want to shape your own bubble, you can shape your own bubble. And so I sometimes wonder whether there's another way of doing that. Um, there are some really interesting experiments, and one of these days you should go interview Tim Huang, who used to run something called the Media Ecology Project out of the Berkman Center for, for um, Internet and Society at Harvard, uh, about the use of uh, bots, um, um, robots, or artificial language in, the t- in Twitter networks. And he's trying to construct um, bot networks that artificially or initially artificially create a scaffolding for people on two on different sides of an issue to link to be forced to link to each other to talk to each other right so that because they wouldn't do it of their own yeah, yeah. so how do you how do you create those those linguist those kind of semantic scaffolds to to to, to bridge communities and the kind of bridging that global voices does is one aspect of that you know and people but people who are inclined to do it will do it. Otherwise, you have to reach into the, the conversational spaces and the semantic spaces and the rhetorical spaces where people are and then come up with a way of, of coming up with a language that bridges them into another conversation. And that's kind of the question that I would have. That would be, like, the starting point. Yeah. All right. Well, Ivan Sigal, it's, it's great to meet you in person. I owe you a boat ride. You owe me a boat ride. Uh, and that will happen uh, next, next I'm sunny coming, day. I'm coming to Amsterdam uh, middle of June, and Georgia and I will take you up on that. All right. All right. It's a pleasure to sit with you. and, and to see you, too. You'll be on in the future. It'll be great. <laughs> pleasure. Thank you. The horseshoe and the rabbit's foot As look would have it We were put right through the ringer recently Which took a decent piece of me Nah, I'm still here. See, sometimes I like to say that about does it for this week's program, but sometimes I don't say it, so you never know. But okay, this week I'm here, and that does about do it for this week's podcast. It was a great pleasure to be back at Republica, especially as this year felt like a Global Voices meetup, this network of citizen journalists that I've known for years. Some people I've met in person here in Amsterdam or elsewhere, but some I've only known online through their writing, through email, and there we all were together. It was a real honor and a pleasure uh, in this case to get to speak with uh, Ivan. Really great, and I look forward to when he's in Amsterdam. The recordings from Republica will be up soon. I'll mention it in in an upcoming podcast, because I had a talk, and so did Ivan, and so did many people that I think we would all enjoy hearing from. So stay tuned for that. I'd also like to mention, of course, citizenreporter.org. And I mention it because there you have all the past podcasts, more than 420 now. You have occasional video entries. You have the texts that I write on a weekly basis, several times, in fact. And what you can also do is support me. Keep this going. There's PayPal. There's Flatter, which I very much enjoy that more and more people are using it. Uh, There's also my, yes, my bank account. You can transfer a small whatever saying, I'm part of this. I want to keep you going. I want Citizen Reporter to be there next week and next year while we're at it. Because I would like to be there, and I would like to be able to afford to be here. 
So thanks so much for being a part of this and everything that you do in your own way. Um, there are always other ways that people keep me going, and I appreciate that too. All the help with website and research, and uh, yeah, it's not just me driving this little train. That does it for me. I'll catch you next week. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and I'm very glad to have you out there listening. That's the magic of the podcast. See it. See it. Let's leave it alone instead I think the conversation's dead